Welcome to Deal of the Week, Bloomberg's podcast on the world of mergers and acquisitions. I'm Ed Hammond, your host, and I'm joined again this week by Jason Kelly, our bureau chief here in New York. Um, We are slightly short on time today, so we'll get straight into it. Jason, the news that is kind of capturing our imagination this morning is Jamie Dimon, the uh, sort of big swinging um, chief exec of J.P. Morgan Chase. He came out earlier this week uh, and said he would be stepping down in five years from now and also announced that there were two people being promoted who I guess will now be in a straight fight for um, who will be chief exec. These two guys, Daniel Pinto, Gordon Smith. Um, what does this mean, Jason, for Wall Street? He's really like one of the last big characters. He really is one of the last big characters. That's totally true. I mean, what's interesting about the five years is he, he keeps restarting this five-year clock. I mean, for the past couple of years, he said five more years, five more years, five more years. So he may be saying five more years a year from now, uh, the the reporting since that announcement, which seemed fairly straight ahead, as you, as you said, is that while those two certainly are in position, there are another several people, including Mary Erdos, uh, who runs JPM Asset Management, who is very much in the mix. Uh, Marianne Lake is also in the conversation. So there are probably four or five people who really could uh, step into that role. But I think to your point, none of them have this swagger. The aura of Diamond. That Diamond has. I mean, he really is the, the last of a breed in the bulge bracket banks. I think you would agree with that. I, I would. I mean, look, I think you, you have Blank Fine at Goldman, and he is interesting, but I think it, it perhaps lacks the sort of the statesman-like charisma of someone like Jamie Dimon. I mean, Jamie Dimon, you put him on any stage, and he is very compelling, he and, really and almost it. whatever he's talking about. That's exactly right. And and he certainly was one of has been one of the most powerful and really provocative voices. We've seen Blank Fine, I think, ease into that a little bit over the last year. He's been tweeting. You know, He's been pretty critical of the president of the United States on Twitter. Um, you know, Jamie has this sort of unvarnished opinion about him. I mean, and certainly we live in this era where at least among the people you and I spend a lot of time talking to, Jamie is like Oprah or Cher or you know, right. Rihanna in the sense that, I mean, Jamie's Jamie. There's, There's only... that kind of cult of the personality right. about him. Exactly. Yeah. But this this sort of takes into a broader thing about, you know, where are these characters on Wall Street? Because you certainly grew up reporting in an era where you had so many big names across, you know, at the banks, a lot of the big name investors, private equity obviously was, you know. Is that a way I'm say, saying I'm old? Uh, just <laughs> mature. You, mature. Seasoned. I think seasoned is what they say in journalism, <laughs> a, a seasoned reporter. Um and and to a lesser extent, I covered, you know, the activists, I suppose, would be the kind of the current version of that, where you have people like, you know, you have Bill Ackman, you have Carl Icahn, you have Dan Loeb, these these sort of larger than life characters. But they do seem to be slightly moving into the to the rearview mirror. And, and it's it's interesting sort of I'm. I'm what is causing this? Like, why are we seeing that the, these characters fade away? Well, it feels like one of the questions that always comes up, regardless of what we're talking about on Wall Street, is: Is this a secular or cyclical trend? Right. I mean, right. and are we just in an era where maybe we are headed into a period where boring is better? Uh, certainly, that's what we saw right after the financial crisis uh, in a lot of ways. I mean, and, and if you look across sticking with the bulge bracket banks for a bit, you know, you got a James Gorman and a Brian Moynihan and those types of leaders who were not the in any way swashbuckling, right. but seemed like a safe pair of hands. 
if you go back to some of what you were alluding to, certainly the corporate raiders of the 80s really lived on for a long time. Private equity, which as you know, I've spent a, a lot of time looking at, certainly is an industry of iconic figures, whether it's Henry Kravis or Steve Schwartzman, David Bonderman. I mean, real hard-edged in a lot of ways or certainly personality-driven and had a real ethos that pervades their, the firms that they created. But we are at this moment where we're talking a lot about succession and the successors don't have that that real brand associated with them that some of those other guys do. Yeah, and I also wonder, look, to, to the extent that the people who have that that flair, if you like, that we're talking about, they are very entrepreneurial and they kind of are self-made. They've made these, you know, whether they're giant private equity houses or whether they're these, you know, these big successful hedge funds. The people coming on in underneath them almost sort of necessarily do not have that entrepreneurial streak and that's why they're employed. Well, by their very nature, exactly right. They, they've gone to work for somebody else. If they had that entrepreneurial streak, they wouldn't be essentially taking a paycheck, right? <laughs> they'd right. be out starting, uh, starting their own gig. And so you do wonder if that is something that develops again uh, over time. I mean, the private equity business and the hedge fund business are on a relative basis young, as industries, and, and these firms have really only been around for 30, 40 years at the outside. Many have been around for, for much less time. So you do wonder if what we're seeing now in, say, Silicon Valley, where there still is this cult of the founder and the cult of the entrepreneur, whether that comes back to Wall Street or whether we're in, in an era of dullness. I yeah, don't know. Yeah, I was, I was going to say it has definitely shifted west. I mean, you look at the, the, the sort of companies where you do have these big personalities and they're almost exclusively in tech and definitely not in finance. In fact, finance has gone the other way completely, where it's, if you look at the sort of the really successful private equity firms today, people like 3G, they're almost faceless. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't we know a little bit about the, the sort of the managing partners there, but but very little. And and it's it's overall it's sort of a firm ethos rather than anything about an individual or, or group of individuals. Is there an advantage, do you think, to having, you know, having someone like a diamond or having someone like a Carl Icon or, you know, if you go even further back like a, a Wasserstein or something like that? It feels like there there might be in the sense that I, I think speaking very broadly and almost existentially, people are looking in their jobs for some sort of meaning and sense of mission, right? Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things that having a big outsized character helps you do is to galvanize around a mission. And, you know, you think about a Mike Milken or a Carl Icahn, you know, obviously who's still around, a Nelson Peltz who's still around. But, you know, these are people who've been doing this for a really long time. I do think, going back to Silicon Valley, a lot of those companies, whether it's Facebook or Google, even a place like Airbnb, a place like Uber, <laughs> maybe not to uh, uh, the the extent that people would like with Travis Kalanick, you know, did organize around uh, did organize around a person, and there is a danger to that, right? I mean, one of the reasons that you do ultimately default to an institutionalization is that. You don't want that, to use a term of art in Wall Street, that key man risk. Right. right? Absolutely not. And you look at something, to use a, a, a very sharp example from the news over the past year, you look at somebody like Harvey Weinstein. Miramax was very much a function of his personality. And when that personality is found to be... Doesn't survive the downfall. Deeply flawed, it does not survive. 
Yeah, I, and and I think the other thing we should we should definitely reference here is on the you know if you look at the the activist funds particularly where you have these big names some of which we just talked about they've not actually done that well recently you know they had these boom years immediately after the financial crisis and I think that was to some extent a response to people who were fatigued with this kind of cautious optimism that mm-hmm. we kept on hearing these kind of very dull terms coming out of the financial crisis. And then all of a sudden you have these sort of swaggering larger-than-life characters who are making successful bets. They're picking a lot of the low-hanging fruit and shaking up these companies. But that seems to be coming to an end. And actually we saw um, Ackman's Pershing Square put out fairly uh, unflattering results. Assets under management continued to fall. They had had another bad year. And others similarly are doing much less well. Carl Icahn obviously got slightly caught up in his dalliance with the government and whether or not there was some impropriety there. Um, and there's, there just seems to be a lot less momentum behind these big names. And I think you're right. It moves in cycles. What's sort of unapparent to me is who are the next crop of these superstar investors going to be, whether they're coming from the private equity side, whether they're coming from the hedge fund side, or indeed whether they're coming more from the traditional investment banking model. There just doesn't seem to be any one of the sort of, I suppose, the sort of 35 to 45 generation who is making that, that kind of noise. Well, one thing that, that that does strike me as interesting is that in the in the almost immediate aftermath of the financial crisis as banks, traditional bulge bracket investment banks got much more conservative, you did see this sort of flurry of boutiques. And so if you look at the success of a Ken Molas, I think Molas could be an interesting model going forward. If we do continue to see this sort of conservatism, you know, are there other Kenny Molases out there? He may be an exception in the sense that he is such a rainmaker, such a dealmaker. He had developed over time such a powerful personal brand that he was able to hang out a shingle and be almost immediately successful. Greenhill obviously did the same thing. And was able to nurture and cultivate a different and new brand. You know, in the private equity landscape, I do wonder, are there people, you know, kind of sitting inside some of these shops who, as succession becomes clearer and clearer, and I'll give you one example, Alex Navab, who ran North American private equity for KKR, did not get picked as one of the co-presidents that uh, Henry Kravitz and George Roberts named last year, and he subsequently left the firm. He's a relatively young guy. I believe he's in his early 50s. He probably has another chapter in private equity. And so that's one that you sort of keep an eye on and think maybe he could go off and do something and and create another brand name uh, private equity firm. So there are elements out there, uh, but I think it remains to be seen. Yeah, and money does flow. It seems like anyway, money flows to characters and personalities. And you you know – you look at that in private equity particularly and it's very apparent the money goes in because you have these people that have a good track record i guess of making smart investments it's not it's not so much an institutional thing it's almost more an individual thing i think so and and it's individual at a small scale but as you get bigger and bigger you think about a blackstone with almost a half a trillion dollars under management at this point they're not just in the business of private equity That's anymore right. they're in the business of hedge funds and credit and and real estate um you know having said that you lo- you look at at Blackstone specifically, the you know the odds seem to be that John Gray uh, will be the successor ultimately to Tony James and then and then Steve Schwartzman, and John Gray 
does have a some personality about him. I mean, and swagger. He, and swagger. He's got some swagger. So that does make you think that there could be a, a new generation. And let's keep in mind, Jamie Dimon, just going back to where we started, didn't start J.P. Morgan. He did. And he has very much made a name for himself based on his personality, based on his willingness to make big bets, to make bold statements. So it's possible to do, but it really does take the right person. So I guess the complete opposite model to all of this is, and this takes us back to where we start as well, is Goldman Sachs. And Goldman Sachs, the, the thing that I hear most frequently from sort of senior bankers at Goldman is bench. They're obsessed with this this concept of having a deep bench. And that really means for them, you know, there is no key man risk. If anyone leaves, whether it's in the M&A department, whether it's in trading, whether it's really at the top of the house, there's always enough good people underneath that the machine can just sustain its momentum. And that's it's it's such an interesting model, and it's so successful for Goldman. You look at them in M and A data, particularly their year after year after year, they come out number one in the league tables. So I do wonder whether other institutions are going to move more towards that model of you know away from key man risk. I mean, you look at you look at J P Morgan and and the, the late great Jimmy Lee. He he sort of embodied so much about their M and A department that I actually think it was potentially net negative. Because other people who wanted some of the limelight or wanted to be stars left and they went elsewhere because you just had one all-consuming personality. It's true. And and I do think that there is some risk to it. I guess the counter for me would be banking especially, private equity certainly, less so hedge funds. They're all so intensely relationship-driven. And you know, one of the things – I wrote something right after Jimmy Lee – passed away. And and the quote that, that someone gave me for it that ended up in the headline was, let's go see the guy. You know, And that was Jimmy's sort of animating force was he was going to get on a plane, get in a car, pick up the phone. And ultimately, Wall Street, I think, especially if you get out of trading and into banking and deal-making, is about having someone trust you. And that is really all about the long game. And so... Hedge funds are often, you know, less so about the long game. But when we really talk about uh, Wall Street, I think as as you and I uh, sort of run around it, and some of the people that that we encounter, um, you know, these are relationships built over years, if not decades. And you know, one of the things that that struck me this week in the news is this is this new healthcare company that's being formed by J.P. Morgan, Berkshire Hathaway, and Amazon. Obviously, those are huge influential companies. But to me, part of what is so fascinating about this is the people that are at the top of these companies. You think about Warren Buffett, you think about Jeff Bezos, and you think about Jamie yeah. Dimon, who we've been talking a lot about. I mean, this is legacy building to some extent, but this is also them putting their personalities and their kind of personal ethos and beliefs about what needs to be fixed, like the most intractable problems of our time – one of them has to be healthcare, and so taking these sort of big bets and these big risks uh, it does seem like it's important and very personality driven ultimately. And it's very neat for us because it kind of perfectly encapsulates everything we've just talked about. It's the biggest finance, the biggest tech, and probably the biggest superstar name investor of of all time. Absolutely, and they're joining up to solve, as you say, one of the most intractable problems uh, of our era. I think that is a very, very nice note for us to end this show on. 
Um, so I would just like to say thank you very much, Jason, for joining me again. Great to be um, with you. And thank you to Magnus Henriksen, our producer. That's it for this week's episode of Deal of the Week. Um, join us again for more from Bloomberg on the world of mergers and acquisitions. Thank you.